Mind podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's November 8th, 2020. After days of vote counting, all major news organizations have now called the presidential race for Joe Biden as of yesterday. The Trump campaign has filed several court challenges in various key battleground states, and at least as of today says they will continue to do so. This episode considers issues in the law of evidence that have come up in those court cases and looks at how those rules flow from the execution of Sir Walter Raleigh for treason in the early 1600s. The ghost of Sir Walter Raleigh informs our 2020 presidential election. Sir Walter Raleigh was a leading light of the court of Elizabeth I of England in the late 1500s and early 1600s. He was a scholar, he was an explorer, uh, and today he is most famous as the person who popularized tobacco smoking in England and elsewhere in Europe by bringing the tobacco leaf from the New World. After Queen Elizabeth died, his fame worked against him and he was accused of treason and ultimately executed. I take the facts of that case from Green, Nesson, and Murray, which is the leading casebook on the law of evidence. In 1603, not long after Queen Elizabeth died, he was accused of conspiracy to commit treason against the new king, King James, by trying to install Arabella Stuart as the Queen of England. At his trial, the key evidence against him was a sworn confession, and I say that in quotes, by Lord Cobham, who was Raleigh's alleged co-conspirator. Lord Cobham made this confession before the Privy Council, and he wrote a letter that was to the same general effect. Raleigh argued that Cobham had recanted his confession and said it should not be admitted in evidence. Representing himself at the proceedings, Sir Walter said, But it is strange to see how you press me still with my Lord Cobham, and yet will not produce him. He is in the house hard by, and may soon be brought hither, let him be produced." And if he will yet accuse me or avow this confession of his, it shall convict me and ease you of further proof. Perhaps indicating what the prosecution, in fact, thought about the veracity of Lord Cobham, they did not produce him uh, as a witness, even though he may have been in the house hard by. Instead, they called a boat pilot by the name of Dyer. And the boat pilot uh, testified that while he had been in Lisbon, a Portuguese gentleman had told him, Your King James shall never be crowned, for Don Cobham and Don Raleigh will cut his throat before he came to be crowned. Raleigh objected in very colorful terms. This is the saying of some wild Jesuit or beggarly priest, but what proof is it against me? The prosecutor, Lord Coke, responded in equally flowery language, It must perforce arise out of some preceding intelligence and shoes that your treason had wings. On this evidence... Sir Walter Raleigh was convicted, and after many years of uh, palace intrigue, he was ultimately executed. The result was wildly unpopular, both because Sir Walter Raleigh was well-liked throughout England and because it just didn't seem fair to offer one view of Lord Cobham's testimony while not allowing questioning of him by Sir Walter Raleigh's side of it in the trial. Fast forward to today. In the United States, we have a Federalist system, as we all too well know, after watching Electoral College returns over the last several days. As a result, we have 50-plus sets of rules of evidence in our different states, the federal government, and our national territories. They are all essentially the same on this key point, however. For today's purposes, I quote from Texas Rule of Evidence 801D, which provides, Hearsay means a statement that, one, the declarant does not make while testifying, at the current trial or hearing, and two, a party offers an evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted in the statement. 
Articles and books have been written about all the ins and outs of that sentence, but for today, it's enough simply to look at it and apply it to the case of Sir Walter Raleigh. Lord Cobham's statement under this rule would not have been admitted to support his trial and conviction because, first, Lord Cobham did not make his statements while testifying at Sir Walter's trial. He was nowhere to be seen at the trial. And second, it was offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted that Raleigh had in fact conspired with Lord Cobham to overthrow the king. If this rule had been in effect in the trial of Sir Walter Raleigh, Lord Coke, the prosecutor, instead of talking about things with wings, would have had to either produce Lord Cobham as a witness, which of course he could have done anyway, or he would have had to give up the case and Sir Walter Raleigh would have gone free, the more likely result. Move forward again to last week in the state of Michigan. Uh, at the time of this case filing, it was one of the undecided battleground states. It has since been called for uh, President-elect Biden. The case at hand was styled Donald J. Trump for President, Inc., the corporate name of the president's campaign, and Eric Ostegren, the two plaintiffs, versus Jocelyn Benson in her official capacity as Secretary of State of Michigan. The short opinion from Michigan's Court of Claims begins by summarizing the case in a couple of sentences. According to the allegations and plaintiff's complaints, says the court, plaintiff Eric Ostegren is a credentialed election challenger under Michigan Compiled Laws Section 168.730. Paragraph 2 of the complaint alleges that plaintiff Ostegren was excluded from the counting board during the absent voter ballot review process. This case was decided not by full trial, as Sir Walter's case was. This was decided on what we call an emergency motion basis. The court is entitled to look at written submissions, affidavits, and that sort of thing, as opposed to live testimony. And here, the court summarized what was before it at the time it was asked for a decision, a decision, by the way, of sweeping impact to enjoin to stop the ongoing vote evaluation process that was in play in Michigan at that time. The court summarizes, the evidence consists of one, an affidavit from Jessica Conarn, a designated poll watcher, and two, a photograph of a handwritten yellow sticky note. In her affidavit, Conarn aversed that when she was working as a poll watcher, she was contacted by an unnamed poll worker who was allegedly being told by other hired poll workers at her table to change the date the ballot was received when entering ballots into the computer. She aversed that this unnamed poll worker later handed her a sticky note that says on it, entered received date as 11-220 on 11-420. We can already foresee the outcome of this proceeding from what we know about Sir Walter's case and its effect on the law of evidence. As to Ms. Conarn's affidavit, the relevant information comes from the unnamed poll worker. That person's statement number one was not made in court, and number two, it was being offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted that he'd been told to do certain things with ballots. And as for the note, same thing. Number one, the note was certainly not written in court. And number two, it was being offered to prove the truth of what was written on it, particularly in the context of the other things that were being claimed about what poll watchers had been saying. Here is what the Michigan court had to say, with a couple of added touches from the analysis I just previewed. It held, the assertion that Ms. Conarn was informed by an unknown individual what other hired poll workers at her table had been told is inadmissible hearsay within hearsay. The note, which is vague and equivocal, is likewise hearsay. I mentioned added touches. The Michigan court, in its brief disposition of the case, is correct that unlike Lord Cobham's statement, which was just one step away from the courthouse at the house nearby, this statement is in fact two steps away. You have the witness, Ms. Conarn, 
quoting an unknown observer who is in turn reporting what someone else told him. And the Michigan court correctly says that evidence law calls that hearsay within hearsay, a sort of chain of hearsay statements. There's no particular legal consequence from that. It's just a label to describe that situation. But in the courthouse world, hearsay within hearsay is considered particularly unreliable because it takes the basic problem of hearsay that the witness is not there and multiplies it, kind of like the old children's game of telephone where messages just have a way of changing as they get passed down the line of people. The judge did not, in her analysis, discuss a closely related idea in evidence law called authentication, but that concept's relevant here and is worth remembering in thinking about these threshold rules of evidence for these election cases. The law of evidence requires, at a most fundamental level, that a witness come to court to establish with testimony that a document or an object or any other item that someone wants to put into evidence is what it appears to be. So, for example, to prove that a contract is, in fact, a contract, a witness needs to come and testify and identify it based on his or her personal knowledge, that they were there when it was signed or they were the relevant record keeper. In some way, they have knowledge of the situation and know that this was, in fact, the contract that the parties entered. Then and only then can the contract be accepted and people make their arguments about which side of the case the court should accept based on the contract language. Same situation here. A simple post-it note without a human witness coming in saying, I was there when that note was written, or I wrote that note, is just a stray post-it note. It's a document, but it is not admissible as courtroom evidence because it is not authentic. Different from the hearsay rule, but related at its core because it requires some baseline level of reliability before a court can proceed on a certain foundation. In some, then, the ghost of Sir Walter Raleigh may or may not still haunt the Tower of London, but his influence is felt today not only in the smoking of tobacco, but in the law of courtroom evidence. Today we remember the trial of Sir Walter Raleigh for treason, where he was executed because of the out-of-court statement of his alleged co-conspirator, Lord Cobham. The legacy of that trial, aside of the death of Sir Walter Raleigh, is the modern rule against hearsay testimony, which was dispositive last week in an election challenge in the state of Michigan. There may or may not be more such challenges in the days ahead as the last few votes come in, but if there are, the hearsay rule is going to play an important gatekeeper role in separating speculation from actual provable fact. Depending on how the election proceeds in upcoming episodes, I'll continue to look at other topics about election law and legal challenges to voter counts and the vote counting process if those abate. There have been several interesting constitutional cases come out while I've been focused on election law over the last several weeks. You can follow this podcast on any of the main directories, and if you enjoy it, I encourage you to join other happy listeners and leave a good, hopefully, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.